If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 175 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on March 19th, 2023, more than halfway through the month of March already, and if you look at the calendar, guys, there are just 11 days until opening day. The regular season is less than two weeks away, guys. Holy crap! Holy crap is right, Frank Barone. And the World Baseball Classic, well, that's still going on. Lots to talk about there. But that'll even be wrapped up in just a couple of days. With the semifinals starting today, two win-or-go-home games today and tomorrow, one game each, one with the USA against Cuba tonight and the other with Mexico and Japan tomorrow. The winner of each will face off in the championship on Tuesday, the 21st. And right now, guys, with all this going on, many, many people, including myself, would say that Right about now, and throughout these last few days, and for the next few days, this is all just the peak of spring baseball. And I'm actually watching the World Baseball Classic game right now, because it's 5 after 7 at the time I'm taping right now. And this episode will probably be out to you by the time this game is over, probably in like the 11 o'clock hour or something. Got a late start to recording today, but... I am going to be watching this game throughout this recording, so that should be interesting. (laughs) Can't wait to see how that goes. But the game looks like it's just about getting ready to start. So I'm just going to be peeking back and forth at my TV as I tape the show today, so that should definitely be a lot of fun. I've done that with a lot of Yankee games in the past, a lot of playoff games in general. As you guys know, it always ends up being pretty damn entertaining. But we've got all this good stuff going on, and... On top of all the stuff that I just mentioned, also in the next week to a week and a half, I would say that we'll be also getting a much clearer picture as to what our opening day rosters are going to be looking like, not just all around baseball, but particularly with our beloved Yankees. Much to our happiness, dismay, or maybe a little bit of both when it comes out. I do, however, wish that Today's Yankee game was on TV. I mean, yeah, they ended up losing the game, but, I mean, the game was at George M. Steinbrenner Field. It's Sunday. Cole was pitching. Most of the regulars, you assume, who will be on the opening day roster were in the starting lineup, and I just would have liked to have watched some ball, all of that considering. And I know that there was a net game on, and regular season takes precedence over an exhibition game and all that, but, I mean, at the same time, does it really? Because, I mean, the the Yes Network is geared towards and quite literally named after the New York Yankees, the Yankees Entertainment and Sports Network. But, hey, I get the game. I know. Guess you got to make that money. 
But uh, yeah, I just figured I'd hit on that real quick because I was just thinking just before, earlier in the afternoon, I was getting ready to tune into the game and I just realized, despite it being at GMS Field and a lot of the regulars being in cold pitching, it's not on television. And I was even looking for a radio stream on the MLB app, but it wasn't providing a radio stream. But I also had people tell me that if you just turn on WFAN in your car, that you're going to get John and Susan, which I'm sure you got, but I was not in the car at any point today, so... I cannot verify that, but I trust all you saying that it was. But I guess the MLB app was just being lousy. So kind of crappy that I couldn't watch the game today. They did end up losing again, as I said, so it's whatever. But I still would have uh, liked to watch it, I suppose. But you got the WBC going on right now. You still have spring training going on. Lots to talk about, guys. And we will get to all of it because... Obviously, on Yapping Yankees, we have as much time as we need here. I'm just watching the first play of the game here. And it looks like Tim Anderson made a nice play in the second base hole between first and second. But the throw is a bit offline. Goldschmidt could not tag the runner going down the first. So now Cuba has a runner on first and nobody out right away to start the game. Adam Wainwright's on the mound. My God, what a game yesterday. <laughs> God almighty. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Yankees before I get into the World Baseball Classic. And trust me, there's plenty to talk about there, as a lot of you know. So, again, as much time as we need to hit on all of this on Yapping Yankees, we do not have a time limit on this show. So we'll get to all of it. But... Yankee spring training is still going on. The overall team does not have a good record. We do not care about that because it is spring training. It does not count. We are looking at individual performances precisely with people who have something to prove. And I am not going to waste any time getting into the real names that everybody wants to talk about. Because you're going to be seeing guys like DJ, Judge, Stanton, Rizzo, Glaber, and I'm confident you'll also see guys like Cabrera, Trevino, guys like that you're expecting to see. And yes, Trevino's working back from a small injury himself too, we'll get to that later. But these are names that you're expected to see. And you're also, I would say it's pretty safe to say you're expecting Peraza to be there as well. But they're the names who obviously we are, we are all closely watching because they have something to prove coming into this spring. And those are the obvious names of Donaldson, Hicks, and IKF. Now, I know this is an exhausting subject for a lot of you, but you know what? It's part of the talk for the Yankees right now, and it's just something that we got to deal with because the Yankees are going to be deciding on these guys shortly. And regardless of whether or not you feel like it's, you know, almost a certainty or whatever that they're going to be in the lineup, you know, they are still worth talking about. Oh, man, another infield hit for Cuba. Yoan Moncada just hit a high bouncer, and Wainwright couldn't make a play. So first and second for Cuba now with nobody out in the first inning. So U.S. already in a jam on uh, yeah, that was a cheap hit. But hey, you know what? Hit's a hit. So it is what it is. But anyways, these are the names that you got to talk about. And they are hot topics, especially today with uh, Donaldson having another bad offensive day and now batting well under 200 throughout spring training. And yes, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm the first one to say all the time that it's just spring training. It doesn't count, and this and this and that. I get it. But when you're coming into spring training and you've got a lot of eyes on you and you've got something to prove, and even your own organization has vouched for you saying that they think that you have what it takes to have a resurgent season, you have got to go out there whether it counts or not, and prove them right to the best of your ability. 
And there are those people out there, like myself, who just do not see that as possible. I did not see that happening in reality since the beginning. And here we are right now with it shaping up just like I thought. And yes, he's going to get a shot for when games actually count. How long that shot lasts, that's up for debate, obviously. How long of a leash he'll have, I'm not sure. None of us really know for a fact. But I'm almost positive that he is going to get a shot at third base. Is it deserving? Well, especially with what he's showing in spring training right now. Yes, again, despite it not counting, but he does have something to prove. I don't think he deserves that shot personally. And a lot of you know that I'm doing everything I can when I'm coming up with my mock lineups and everything, which speaking of that, that may or may not be the main topic of the social media segment. So tune in for that at the end of the show. But uh, so keep on listening. But nonetheless, I do everything I can to keep Donaldson and Hicks out of my lineup for that reason. And you might have another argument for Hicks, which we'll get to in a second, but for Donaldson specifically, you can argue with the defense all you want. But I've said it many times before, even going back to when that trade was made, when I just didn't like it from the beginning with Minnesota, but especially after the season ended and we saw what Donaldson had, or I guess didn't have. If you thought that the Yankees were trading for Josh Donaldson for defense only, then you're just lying to yourself. They expected offensive contributions from Josh Donaldson when they got him from the Twins in that trade. They did not get that in 2022. It was by far his worst offensive season in his career. And now the Yankees, going into this, were saying that they really think that he has it in him to turn it around with the bat. He has shown anything but that with the exception of a home run and a couple of hits in spring training. And we've been playing for weeks now. So, and I know they don't play every day, but you need to be showing me a little bit more than that, especially when you have as much to prove as he does with the bat. You need more than defense if you're Josh Donaldson. I said it from the beginning, he's not getting any younger, he's only getting older, and I thought what we saw last year was just the beginning of his decline. And to be honest with you, at this point in spring training, it seems like I'm exactly on the path to being 100% correct about that because, to be honest, he actually looks even worse so far. As we stand after today's Orioles-Yankees game on March the 19th, with, yes, about a week, week and a half left to go in spring training, and, yes, spring training doesn't count, so use whatever argument you want. Fact of the matter is, with what he has left to prove and what the Yankees are putting on him to improve and how much stock they're putting into him, you expect to see at least some improvement, even if it is just in spring training. And the fact of the matter is, we have seen none. We've seen less than none. And with my patience having already hit zero with all of the shenanigans that we saw in 2022 with this guy, I'm already like mentally checked out on it. Could he turn it around in the regular season? Sure. And I will eat my words gladly if that happens. You all know that I have no problem admitting when I am wrong. But I have just seldom been more confident in anything else like I have been confident in this. And I hate being confident in it. He's a Yankee. I want to root for him. But not only does he make it hard with his personality, for instance, but on top of that, he doesn't perform. Particularly with the bat. But that is very important. So I'm more or less mentally checked out with Josh Donaldson already if he doesn't have just some miraculous, unbelievable turnaround and pretty soon... But I just, I hate what I'm seeing so far. 
today on a strikeout, and even Brian Hoke reported it on Twitter. Lost the bat, flew out of his hands. Yes, I know it happens to a lot of people often. But, I mean, it just adds to the list. It's just like, what the hell is going on here? So, Donaldson, that's where my patience is with him. It's not going well. Shocker. When it comes to Aaron Hicks, yes, the guy had a good game today, offensively. He even made a couple of nice plays in center field. That's a new one. Because other than that, basically leading into today, the guy for the most part throughout spring training has not been hitting too well. There have been days where he's had his good hitting days, yeah. But there are also days where he has not. Plenty. And up until today, I would say, and there was someone on Twitter that described it as this, and it couldn't be more accurate, that his outfield reel up to this point, whether he was in center or in left, but especially in left, has been what they call a blooper reel. He has looked pretty bad out there. And especially with Bader being out until maybe the second or third week of the regular season, not too long, thankfully, but especially with him out right now, we are more than likely seeing Aaron Hicks out there. You know the Yankees couldn't be happier about that because they just have some sick attachment to this guy. But, yeah, he's had his good hitting days here and there, but I don't trust them to be consistent, and they have not been very consistent so far. Again, yeah, if you want to talk about it being a small sample size, sure, whatever. Again, you want to talk about it being spring training, doesn't count, whatever. But again, these are guys with something to prove, so you pay attention to it a little bit more with them than you do with certain others who you know you're probably already seeing. So with how horrible he's looked in the outfield on almost all days except for today, and with a lot of games at the way he's continued to look with the bat until just recently in the last couple of days, he happened to raise his average back up with a few hits, and good on him. I'm not going to crap on getting hits. (laughs) You help my team win, I'm going to be happy with you. But other than that, I don't like the lack of consistency I'm seeing. Obviously, not every day is going to be good. I get how baseball works. I didn't start watching the sport just yesterday. I started watching it over a decade and a half ago. I'm not stupid. But the fact of the matter is, I don't trust Hicks to be enough of a contributor to this team to have any sort of a regular role. Especially not with the way he's continued to look in the outfield. So, I don't even really know which one I'm, I'm happier with. Because Hicks has put on a comedy routine, for the most part, out there in the outfield, defensively. He's had his good days offensively, but not consistently. And Donaldson, I I guess he's been fine in the field, I guess. I mean, that was a thing that really has been the case since he got here. That's the one thing you can't really fully crap on is, is his defense. That's been pretty good. But he's been really bad offensively, again, with the exception of a home run that he hit the other day. And a hit here and there. So, I'm just not really feeling good about any of them. I, uh, I'm not feeling great. I'm not. When it comes to IKF, and with how the Yankees have handled him more of late, I am starting to get the growing feeling that they are, in fact, planning on using him in more of a utility role because they've been even trying him out in the outfield lately. He played center field the other day. He's been getting outfield looks, and he's even gotten some third base looks, which, of course, is where he won his gold glove back in the shortened 2020 season and where I would rather him play if he had to have a position on the field. Anyways, he's been getting a lot of other looks elsewhere other than just shortstop. He hasn't done very much at all offensively. He has a home run, a couple of hits here and there. 
doing more than Donaldson, I would have to say, with the bat, but that does not say much because Donaldson is doing virtually nothing, again, except for that home run and a couple of hits here and there. But, I mean, it sort of feels like a comedy routine, too, having him play in the outfield. He didn't even look that bad out there, to be honest. But I feel like the Yankees are, at this point, just trying to showcase that he has any sort of ability just about anywhere and maybe an attempt to eventually trade him. I mean, these antics that they've been pulling with him of late, even giving him outfield shots, I mean, I just think they're desperate to either just try to fit him in anywhere because they know they bought him back instead of just non-tendering him like they probably should have, and they paid him $6 million and they realized $6 million is a bit expensive to have a guy just sitting on the bench all the time, or they're just trying to drive up his trade value by showing other teams, hey, he could, he could even play there and there and there too. Maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know. We don't really know if there's going to be a move made between now and opening day. wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't, and a part of me wouldn't even be surprised if there was. We don't know for sure yet. But other than IKF getting some other looks in the outfield lately, which I was just like, all right, whatever. I'm not going to go nuts over because it's spring training. If you're going to experiment with anything, now's the time. So I'm not going to completely crap all over. It's not like the games matter. But I just think it's like antics at this point. Maybe they are trying to drive up his trade value by trying to sell to other teams. Hey, he could play out there too, not just at shortstop or third. Or they're trying to find any place they possibly could for him so that he's not sitting on the bench every day at $6 million. So, in any event, he's not really doing much of anything to really maybe go, whoa, you got to put him in the lineup too. He's not. So any of those three names, more or less my opinion on them from the beginning of spring training from when it started has not changed. Obviously, they could change things if they get a lot of looks come the regular season. I don't know. I don't know. But moral of the story is, I guess, my outlook on them has not really changed, and I'm still doing everything I can to keep any of the three out of my lineup and off my field if the lineup were up to me and the fielding arrangement were up to me. That's just me personally. As far as the World Baseball Classic, I legit just noticed that Adam Wainwright actually, they did allow a run in the first inning, but it could have been so much worse because the bases were still loaded with nobody out. <laughs> really bad situation. I thought we were going to be looking at, at at least like a 3 nothing deficit. But Wainwright only allowed one run. They ended up getting a double play by getting the force at the plate at one point and then not allowing another run after that. So... Considering the kind of jam the U.S. team was just in in the top of the first, I will take just one run gladly. <laughs> so, we'll see what happens. Mookie just ripped one down the line, leading off the bottom of the first. Lead off double right away. All right, baby. Let's go. Let's go, Team USA. Mookie leading things off with a double. See what happens here. Since Especially since it was just one run in that top of the first. Considering how much worse that could have been. The U.S. team is, I mean, obviously, it's one nothing. They're not out of it yet, regardless of how, the, how they got their first run in the first inning. But considering that a couple of those hits were cheap ones, and they only got one run out of it, I still think the U.S. has taken this game. The only game that I was wrong about <laughs> was last week, last Sunday night. I did say that I thought the U.S.A. was going to defeat Mexico, and I was wrong about that. Mexico... Handed the USA's asses to him. 
But, I mean, they still moved on to clapping Canada's ass after that and defeating Colombia and then defeating Venezuela last night, all three of which I did predict the USA to win, so I got my winning predictions back on track. <laughs> but And I do think they're going to beat Cuba tonight. We'll see if I'm right or wrong about that. And if they do, then we'll see what happens tomorrow. Whoever wins that one will be their opponent in the finals. And I don't know if I mentioned this on this show or on social media. I feel like I mentioned them... I feel like I mentioned this on either one of the two, or maybe both, and if I didn't, then I'd, I'd definitely mention it to my family. I know that for a fact. <laughs> so you can ask them for verification if you want. But I did predict that the finals were probably going to be USA and Japan. And as it is right now, obviously it depends on what happens tonight and tomorrow night, but as of right now, that could very well possibly happen. And in that event of that happening, my other prediction, if that were to come true to fruition, my other prediction was that Japan would beat the USA if that took place. And I don't want that to happen, obviously, but I just think Japan is too much of a juggernaut all around. And uh, I do think the USA does have a weakness to their team, and that is pitching. And also having Mark DeRosa in the dugout not making the best of decisions at times, to put it mildly, like the whole inning with Daniel Bard last night. But hey, it worked out because Trey Turner decided to hit one of the more dramatic grand slams I've seen in some time. So that worked out okay. But even though I do hope I'd be wrong about it, I do think Japan has a better overall team. We'll see what happens if that matchup does take place. Mike Trout just flew out to shallow right field, and now Goldschmidt is up. we got to get Mookie in, guys. Come on. Answer right back. Goldie's up with an 0-1 count now. I just want to see this pitch, and then we'll continue our conversation. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, one. Oh, that is ripped to left, baby. Is that gone? Let's go! 2-1 USA, baby. Goldschmidt with a two-run missile to left field. Oh, my God. Wow. He ripped that. Oh, my God. That was a good call to wait on that next pitch. Oh, my God. It's two to one. What a shot. Wow. See, I just know Team USA. They, I am confident in this game. I just am. I think they'll win this game. I think Japan will beat Mexico, and unfortunately, then I think the USA will lose. <laughs> I could be wrong about that. I could be. And I could be wrong about this. Just because Goldschmidt hit a go-ahead two-run shot does not mean that the USA is going to win. Who knows? Cuba's still a good team. They could pull it out. Who knows? My goodness, but where the hell was I anyway before that epic two-run shot? I was talking about our favorite three players. That's right. Josh Donaldson, Aaron Hicks, and Isaiah kiner <laughs> Listen, I don't come on this show every week, and I-, I guess some people would not believe me when I say this, but I do not have the goal of coming on this show every week and just saying I cannot wait to hate on these three again. I'd be honest with you if I were wrong or if I felt any differently, but I don't. Guys, I just don't see any reason to stick with these guys. Maybe if you feel like you must, you throw Hicks out there until Bader gets back, especially because Bader's going to miss little to no time, maybe only the first couple of weeks. And the Yankees, again, you have to give every, you have to give every single injury update they provide you know, you have to take with a grain of salt. We've said that many times here on Yapping Yankees because it is the truth. 
but the Yankees did say that he's progressing much better than they thought he was going to. So that's always welcoming news when it comes to Bader. It'd be nice to have him back out there in center field ASAP. But I just don't really see the need to really switch anything up for any of those three guys. I just don't. And I'm going to enforce that point even more so later on when we get to the social media segment because that is mainly what it's about. Because since opening day is drawing so near, it's only a week and a half away. And as we go on and on into spring training, already plenty of roster moves have been made to send a lot of people back down to the minors, to minor league camp, and getting a clearer picture already of that final opening day roster that's only going to continue to happen as spring training progresses like it happens every year. And the picture is going to get even clearer, as I said, within the next week to a week and a half. And with that being said, why don't we just get right into Yankees news? Because honestly, that's a pretty good segue into our first few points here. Particularly the first one, which was really the first big piece of news as to minor league camp assignments. Thursday night, the Yankees did announce that Jason Dominguez was officially being reassigned to minor league camp. So... You're not going to see him in any spring training games anymore as you have not seen him in there for the last three days since this news came out. A lot of people were outraged by this. While I was not thrilled about it, of course, I mean, you had to see it coming. The guy's only seen a handful of games even in double A. So (laughs) you weren't going to see him on the opening day roster, guys. I've said that for a while. I've been saying since the start of spring training, there's a solid chance you're not going to be seeing Anthony Volpe in the opening day lineup. And there is a, or on the roster, and there is a, even more of a solid chance, basically a 100% guarantee that you're not going to see Dominguez there. Because at least in Volpe's case, he has about a couple of dozen games of experience in Triple A. Dominguez barely has a handful in Double A. So, I mean, and he's younger even. So, you were never going to see Dominguez on the opening day roster. So... I can't be too outraged at that because I knew that from the start, but, you know, it's lousy because Dominguez had such a killer spring. He did a fantastic job, and he made a lot of people really look forward to the future, really enthusiastic about what's to come. So I think he definitely did his job in that sense, and I think he definitely did his job in having people really thinking about him even more so now, really just being excited for what's ahead. And I'm very excited at what he showcased because, I mean, his very first home run of the spring was a bomb that came from what was apparently his weaker side of the plate, the right side. And then he showcased his power from the left side after that, showed some pretty good defense out there in the outfield. I like what I saw from him, particularly at the plate, but he looked really promising. Could he use some more developing and even more experience at a level even as low as double A? Yeah, he could use more time down there, which is why I'm not completely outraged, but I believe we will see him up here before too long. I do. I do think and hope that he's going to speed run his way through the minors and hopefully make an impact at the major league level. Because again, you also have to remember, and this is not the fault of guys like Volpe and Dominguez, but the Yankee organization passed up on a lot of potential guys outside of the Yankee organization because of how much they believe in these kids. And like I said, it's not their fault. And to a certain degree, it may even be a bit unfair to them. 
but the Yankee organization has also put a lot of pressure on them because of this to perform and really lead the way as that next batch of, per se, baby bombers. Because the first era, outside of Aaron Judge, to be honest, and maybe a little bit of Glaber Torres, but he's definitely had his time of disappointment in his time in the Yankees so far. The baby bomber era was pretty disappointing, the first one being. That began in 2016, heading into 2017, really mainly. And I say 2016 because that was when Judge first came up, and you also saw Tyler Austin at that point. So that's really when it started in my eyes. And then, you know, through to now. It has not been it has not been all that we hoped it would be, I think it's safe to say. There's no championships to go with it, even though there are plenty of good moments. They never achieved the pinnacle of success. Not as of yet. So... That story is still yet to be fully completed, but hopefully down the line you see these kids contributing to it, that next batch of studs, and we can see this organization achieve what they have been trying to achieve again for the better part of the last decade and a half, since the last time they achieved it back in 2009. But again, because I was not expecting Dominguez to make the opening day roster in the first place, it was really tough to be shocked or outraged at the report that he was assigned back to minor league camp. Also assigned back to minor league camp, you have Michael Hermosillo, you have Lisandro Santos, you have Jamie Westbrook, you have Davey Garcia, who I do have to say right now, Davey, for the most part, had himself a nice spring. And I've said it, I said it, I believe it was either last week or the week before that, it goes without saying, that if Davey could have any sort of a career resurgence after what we saw in 2020, it would be unbelievable for the organization. Because what we saw from him in 2020 at just the age of 20, and yeah, it was a shortened season, make of it what you will, but it was incredible. He showcased a lot of promising stuff. And then after that, it just sort of dissipated, and he even struggled down in the minors the last couple of years. Really discouraging to see the turn that his career took after that. But if he could get any of that back, that would be amazing. And he showcased some of that potential ability this spring, and that was really good to see. So we'll see what what happens with him going forward when he continues down the minors, at least for now. Also joining all of them are Tanner Tully, Matt Bowman, Demarcus Evans, and Ryan Weber, the legend Ryan Weber. So if and when they need to call upon him again, he will be back down in the minors. So again, like I said, with only about a week and a half to go in spring training, the picture has already begun to become a little clearer as to what that final product of an opening day roster will be, and including the 40-man as well. But those are the first moves made in spring training, and as we go along in this next week, week and a half, we will continue to see more assignments back down to minor league camp as we draw closer and closer to that final 40-man roster and 26-man roster. As for other updates, let's see what else we got here for the Yankees. Definitely very important here. We got some injury news. Definitely got to talk about that because the injury bug has bitten the Yankees a little bit, as we know. Some pretty big names like Rodon, Bader, Canely, Lou Trevino, and then you got guys who have been out for some time now, like Frankie Montas, Scott Efros, and he's going to be missing the entire year, as we know. So, there are just a lot of names out there. As for Rodon right now, Brian Hoke did report 
that Rodon began a throwing program on March 17th, and he said he felt really good on March 18th. And the Yankees are really encouraged by this. And he obviously started experiencing his issues on March 5th when he had that start. Against the Braves when he did not look great, I didn't make much of it, but then of course the injury news came out shortly thereafter that he was dealing with some issues with his elbow, and he said that he had a similar issue last May with the Giants, but he pitched through it. And fortunately right now, at least as of now, I don't want to jinx nothing, (laughs) please, but as of right now, it seems to be a pretty minor thing, and he still seems to be on track to return in mid to late April. So again, for him, hopefully it only ends up being a two- or three-week thing. That'd be fine. It's it's better than a chunk of the season, you know? And if you're going to have it, then have it now and be healthy all throughout after that. Because if you have to choose a time for it to happen, you do not want it happening later on. You want to get it over with early if you had to choose. So, And also... When it comes to new injury news, that also did happen this past week. And when I heard this, I said, oh my god, this just will not end. But fortunately, this seems to be not severe at all, considering he's also going to be returning in the next couple of days. So thank god for that. But the Yankees did also announce that Jose Trevino had a wrist sprain. But like I did say, next couple of days, he's already expected to return. They said he's already expected to return to action on the 21st and then catch on the 23rd and he should be completely fine for opening day. So let's hope that stays that way. And so that news with Rodon having already started his throwing program and saying he's feeling good, still on track for mid to late April. So he's obviously going to continue his process in ramping back up. If all stays well on those tracks, then Trevino should be fine. Rodon's on track. Bader, like I said before, they even gave an injury update on him. He's progressing even more nicely than they originally anticipated. So news like that is always encouraging. And like I said, if you can get out of the way early, then get it out of the way early. And just stay out there for as much as you can throughout. Please, God, I'm begging you. <laughs> can't do it anymore with these freaking injuries. Ugh. So that's your Rodon update. Your update on Jose Trevino, which that injury just revealed itself this past week, so that's definitely newer from when we spoke last week. Tommy Canely, the news is not too great on him. His expected return is still labeled as April, but the Yankees did say that he played catch on March 16th, but he was unable to do so again on both the 17th and the 18th, which is obviously Friday and yesterday, because his soreness in his right bicep is still ongoing, so... The Yankees did say that it slows down his clock to return a little bit, but they expect him to eventually bounce back and for that soreness to go away and hopefully he gets back on some sort of a track. Obviously, I have said that I'm pretty confident in this Yankee bullpen. Otherwise, especially with the return of guys like Ron Marinaccio and Michael King, and yeah, they're missing Trevino too, but I am not too concerned about the Yankee bullpen whatsoever. I think they got a lot of good arms out there. If they start dropping like flies left and right from injury, then I'll get worried. But otherwise, if it stays at here, then I'm still not throwing any red flags up. Like, oh my God, we're in trouble out there. No, I'm okay right now. But getting Tommy Canely back would certainly be nice. I mean, he's a welcome addition. He hasn't pitched too much the last few years because of his injury problems. So that's why when this is happening to him, this really sucks. But I mean, what can we do about it? Hopefully he comes back sooner rather than later, right? That's all you can really say. I just took a peek over at the World Baseball Classic game. It's still the, well, now it's the bottom of the second. 
and the U.S. is back up. I did see in the top of the second that Cuba had a runner on second with two outs. I guess they did not allow that runner to score in the time that I turned my head away from the TV. But um, for now, it is still 2-1 to one USA in the bottom of the second, and Pete Alonso just flew out to left center, so there's one out now. So still 2-1 to one Team USA, baby. Let's go. Hold it here, add on, tack on some runs, hold them down at one, and we're headed to the finals. Let's get it done. All right, well, other Yankee updates. Again, I mentioned him briefly before, Lou Trevino. He's still expected back in, well, they have it labeled as possibly May. So he does have that mild ligament sprain near his pitching elbow, so that's obviously not good. But they did say that he did resume a throwing program on March 13th. So for a few days now, he's at least throwing again. But they're obviously handling that injury with a lot of delicacy, as they should with any injury, pitching-wise, regarding the elbow, because why the hell wouldn't you? Frankie Montas is still down for basically the same sort of information. Second half at the earliest, I think he's probably going to miss the entire season. And even if he does come back, I'm not sure there's going to be much time left and have it be very worth it to put him back in the rotation. I think at that point, if you're going to use him at any point of the team, you might be better off using him in a long relief role maybe, especially if it's like September and he's missed the entire season up to that point and his ramp-up process has only just been completed and there's barely any time left. I would not take the risk at trying to throw him into the rotation there, especially if the Yankees are in an intense race by then of any kind. But that's just me. Same thing. They still have him labeled as possibly the second half, so it's still very, very possible that he just misses all of 2023 in light of his latest surgery. Uh, We're still nowhere near seeing the official Yankee debut of fictional character at this point. I'm convinced he is Ben Rortvit. So things are the same with that. He still has a thing with his shoulder aneurysm. April to June is his return time. So in other words, they have no freaking clue. And they actually also gave another update on Luis Heal, by the way, who had Tommy John surgery last year, if you might recall. They're expecting him back around the second half of 2023, so we could see Luis Heal again for the first time in a couple of years come the second half of the season. So that'd be interesting. But that is your overall Yankee injury update. The two most important and most immediate, of course, I would actually group Bader in as the third, being Rodon, Trevino, and Bader, because those are the three that you're seeing the soonest, and they definitely hold a lot of importance. Oh my God, Trey Turner! Yeah, baby! Oh my God! He did it again after last night! Oh my God, Trey Turner, after his grand slam last night, he hits another bomb to left. Oh my God. <sighs> he did it again. Not another grand slam, but he just hit another home run. That's his third of the WBC. And you know something? Not long before that Grand Slam yesterday, I was just getting on his and Tim Anderson's case for before the the Grand Slam last night, obviously, but before that Grand Slam and the game prior to that against Columbia, I believe it was, I was just getting on their case saying, you know, they haven't really been doing much the last couple of games. And then then Trey Turner hit the Grand Slam, and now tonight he's got another freaking home run. So it's 3-1 USA now. Oh, my God. And Mookie Betts, after, right after that, just got another hit. So Mookie's two for two with a double and a single. Oh, my gosh. And he knew that was gone again. Just threw that bat down. Got right into the home run trot. <laughs> that was clean. Oh, that's great. 
Let's go Team USA, baby. Let's get to the finals again. Obviously, they won in 2017 in the last Classic. Let's do it again. Oh, God. So, yeah, that is really your injury news. <laughs> I'm just so excited about this game. I always tell you it's interesting. Whenever I do a Yapping Yankees episode, whenever there's a game going on on TV as I record, it's always interesting. Always. <laughs> it's always very fun for me. Oh, God. <laughs> also, by the way, since this news just came out today, I almost forgot this, but as far as roster moves, sending guys back down to minor league camp, this just happened today, so I almost glossed right over it. But on top of all the other players that I mentioned to you who were reassigned to minor league camp prior to today, just today, Jake Bowers and Billy McKinney were reassigned to minor league camp. So yeah, like I said, a lot of names reassigned back down. You got Bowers, McKinney, Dominguez, and after Dominguez, you've got Hermosillo, Santos, Westbrook, and expect to see more and more throughout this next week week and a half. So that's really all your Yankees news, guys, pertaining to injuries and some roster updates so far, who's been reassigned to minor league camp, who's still hanging around. I'm happy that Volpe's at least still hanging around. I mean, how could he not be? He's having a kick-ass spring. And like I said, at least he has a bit more experience, to say the least, over guys like Jason Dominguez and whatnot. But he definitely deserves to continue to stick around and show what he's got. They've been playing him at short, at second, and he's been showcasing at both of those positions as well as with the bat as we know so love to see the kids play it's a shame that we don't get to see them play in spring training anymore as far as guys like Jason Dominguez who are putting on an absolute show but hey you still got guys left over like Volpe, Cabrera, Peraza still got plenty of guys around able to watch them play and put on a show even if it is in games that don't count does not matter because this could push them that much closer especially someone like Volpe two games that do count. And obviously we hope so. I still do not think that we are going to see Volpe to start the season on the opening day roster. One could hope, even if it is just like 1% out of 100%, but one can still hope. As far as how the Yankees have done in spring training for the last week, we did leave off last Sunday when the Yankees ended in a tie with the Red Sox, I believe. Yeah, it's exactly what happened. On Monday, they finished with a one nothing loss against the Twins. The only thing that happened in this game was a solo shot by Max Kepler. Otherwise, this is a game where Davey Garcia mainly got the pitching again. Three and a third, just one run allowed. Two hits, two walks, two strikeouts. Not unbelievably sharp, but not terrible either. So good to see him out there again. Not much happened on Monday. A lot did happen on Tuesday <laughs> because the Yankees won that game 10-3. to Garrett Cole started the game, and up to this game, we know that Garrett Cole has looked terrific this spring so far, did not look too terrific in that one inning in today's game against the Orioles, of course, which he himself was not happy about, as he said in the post game. but in this Blue Jays start, not great, not horrendous, but four and two-thirds, six hits, that's a lot. Three runs and six strikeouts. He's striking out a lot of people this spring, no doubt about that. Fastball still looks electric. But uh, just those three runs, and those were the three runs the Blue Jays scored. As for the offense, 
DJ LeMahieu right away to start things with a solo shot. After that, Josh Donaldson with a three-run shot. That was the one home run I was talking about before. And then Estevan Florial with a two-run shot of his own, making it 6 to nothing. Yeah, Florial's another person trying to fight his way onto this team any way he can because, again, he's a very unique situation, does not have any other minor league options left. So we've been talking about it for weeks when it comes to Florial, but something's got to give with him. We'll see what happens. That made it 6 to nothing though, at the time. Bottom of the third, Oswald Peraza hit his first home run of the spring. That made it 7-2 at the time. And then Andres Chaparro, another kid who has very much impressed me this spring. I've had a great time watching him. Good in the field. I've really loved seeing his power at the plate. Showing a lot of promising stuff there. But he had another home run here, a three-run shot, his fourth of the spring to make it 10-3, and obviously that was the final against the Blue Jays that day. Next game was on Wednesday against the Phillies. This game was pretty crazy (laughs) because right away in the top of the first, the Phillies bolted out to a 7-0 lead off of Luis Severino and against Carlos Gomez. So the two of them together did not look good at all in the first inning. Obviously, Severino came back out after that, so that wasn't his final line. Overall, he went two and a third, two hits, four runs, three walks, and four strikeouts. And Luis Severino's difficult spring continues. Again, I'm not trying to put too much stock into it because it doesn't count, and I'm just hoping that he's able to ramp it up and do well when it actually matters. Obviously, I'm more than willing to give him a shot. A lot of people are showing concern because they don't think that the relationship between him and the Yankees is too great right now. I really hope that that's not the case because he is really important in this rotation. And you obviously hope he can stay healthy too. That's really important. But uh, nonetheless, this showed a continuation in his difficulty this spring. And a lot of people were asking me, how is he able to come back out after that even though he's taken out? They can do that in spring training because it doesn't count. So, <laughs> But then Gomez after that gave up another three runs of his own. Just wasn't a pretty first inning, but the Phillies jumped out in front <laughs> seven to nothing. And the Yankees were able to put one run up in the bottom of the first on an RBI double by Oswaldo Cabrera. And believe it or not, that's sl- that started a slow comeback. <laughs> slow meaning they didn't score again until the sixth inning, but they piled on after that and they actually came back from down seven nothing. It's exciting. Even though it doesn't count, it's it's exciting. Jake Bowers, RBI single. Anthony Volpe, RBI single. Jamie Westbrook, RBI walk. Walked with the bases loaded. Same thing for Spencer Jones. Good to see him as well. Wilmer Defoe, RBI single. Then Dunham drove in a run on a force out. And Mickey Gasper on an RBI single put the Yankees ahead 8-7. to seven. So eight unanswered runs for the Yankees over the course of eight innings. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. But then later on in the game at the end for the Yankees, unfortunately, Jack Neely would give up two go-ahead runs to the Phillies, and the Phillies would end up winning 9-8 to after all of that coming back. <laughs> then on Thursday, Pirates and Yanks again. Starting this game for the Yanks was Clark Schmidt. And after his last couple of disappointing outings out there, he really bounced back very well in this outing, and that was really good to see, because a lot of you guys know that although up to this point, I mean, I know they could probably really both find spots because of Rodon being out at least to start, but 
when it comes to him coming back, it was starting to look like that spot could be stolen by Herman, and obviously for obvious reasons. I want the better performer out there, but obviously personal preference, I'd rather Schmidt out there. And also, I mean, how long have we been hearing about Clark Schmidt and how he's going to be this big pitcher in the rotation someday, and he's a great prospect, and he's really going to make inroads in the major league someday, and he just hasn't really fully taken those reins yet, and this is a really good opportunity for him to do that. And I was really hoping we would see an outing in spring training that shows that again after how good his first one was. And this was it, man. I loved how he looked. Five perfect innings. No hits, no runs, no walks, and seven strikeouts. That is what the hell I want to see. Really happy about it. So that was really a big story of that game. The Yankees did end up losing the game 9-6. to six. But Wandy Peralta came in, he had a rough time, didn't even get a single out, allowed three runs. Cordero in one inning allowed a run. Evans came in, allowed four runs, only getting one out. Albert Abreu in an inning and a third allowed a run. So Schmidt and Norwood at the beginning and the end, basically the only good pitchers on this night. And the others allowing a combined nine runs. Offensively for the Yankees, they did score on an RBI double by Aaron Judge, and an RBI ground out by Stanton, a two-run single by Stanton, and then an RBI double by Donaldson. Those were five runs, and then later on in the game in the bottom of the eighth, Brandon Lockridge drove in a run on a force out. So those were their six runs that night as they lost to the Pirates 9-6. to Friday, they lost to the Tigers 8-7. to This game was pretty crazy as well because the Yankees managed to almost mount another comeback. But nonetheless, in this game, Domingo Herman started, and this was a big setback for him. Not good for him in uh, in light of that last Schmidt start prior to this game. But Domingo Herman in two and two-thirds, nine hits, seven runs. And we know how Domingo Herman could fall victim to home runs a lot of the time. Well, he did on this day as well. Four home runs allowed. Just a disastrous start for Domingo Herman and David Garcia did come into this game again two scoreless innings that's what I'm talking about Garcia again showing some pretty good stuff this spring as far as Yankees runs scored they didn't even score until the top of the fifth Estevan Florial on a two-run single and on an error made by Austin Meadows and Florial was thrown out at second a lot of commotion going on but at the end of the day two-run single for Florial made it seven at two at the time then Florial with an RBI ground up made it 8-3. to Wilmer Defoe with a two-run shot scored the Yankees' fourth and fifth runs. And Benjamin Cowles with a two-run shot himself in the top of the eighth made it 8-7. to That would be the final, obviously. And just yesterday against the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays did win 5-2. to A lot of L's for the Yankees this week. That's all good. They don't count. Just don't do that during the regular season, please. <laughs> Nestor Cortez. Got back to the mound finally for his first time. Didn't look too great, but hopefully he'll fix that up going forward. I'm confident he will. I'm not concerned about him. Three and a third, three hits, five runs, three walks, and four strikeouts. After him, a lot of the big bullpen arms came in, and they looked really good, so that's a big positive. Michael King pitched an inning and two-thirds scoreless. Luizaga, scoreless inning. Clay Holmes, a scoreless inning. So those are positives. The two runs from the Yankees came off of two runs in the top of the first. Anthony Rizzo on an RBI ground out and Stanton on an RBI single. Otherwise, that was really all for yesterday. And today, 
Garrett Cole took the mound against the Orioles, and he looked really good up until that fifth inning, his final line overall after that fifth inning, not looking pretty, but before this, he was looking real good before that fifth inning. It was five innings, six hits, four runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. So again, the strikeouts way up, but that one home run in the fifth inning majorly did him in. But uh, before that, he was looking real good, and he had that tendency again, not only with the home run ball, which he's also had a tendency for since he became a Yankee, you know, aside from also doing very well. Garrett Cole's had his <laughs> more than his fair share of phenomenal outings as a Yankee. Let's not make this into a negative segment. And he's otherwise looked mostly really good this spring. But today, we did see a little bit of a resurgence of Garrett Cole's not-so-great habits, let's call them. That one-inning collapse, the home run ball. You saw a little bit of both of those things in today's game in that fifth inning. But otherwise, he looked fine, I guess. Four of the five runs for the Orioles came in that inning. The Yankees managed to score three today on an Anthony Rizzo sacrifice fly in the bottom of the third, an Oswaldo Cabrera RBI single in the bottom of the sixth, and then a run scoring on a fielding error on a pickoff attempt. Giancarlo Stanton scored that run, and the final was 5-3 to three O's in today's game. As far as the rest of the week, what the Yanks have coming up, in this next week of spring training baseball, which is also, by the way, the final full week of spring training. Because once I talk to you next Sunday on March 26th, guys, opening day <laughs> is only four days away. So once I talk to you next Sunday, you have next Sunday afternoon's game against the Blue Jays at 105. And then a game at 105 on Monday against the Rays. And then the Nationals at 12.05 on Tuesday. Opening days on Thursday the 30th, guys, at Yankee Stadium, Yankees Giants. Can you believe it? So this upcoming week of spring training baseball is the final full week. We only have a couple of games left when I talk to you next Sunday. So for the final full week of 2023 spring training, here's the Yankees schedule. They're off tomorrow. Tuesday, they have a game at 105 against the Tigers at GMS Field. George M. Steinbrenner, for those who don't know. Wednesday, 1.05 p.m. against the Nationals. Thursday, 1.05 p.m. against the Cardinals. 1.05 p.m. on Friday. They have a split squad Friday against the Twins. And then at 6.05 against the Orioles. Saturday, 1.05 against the Phillies. And as I just said before, next Sunday, 1.05 against the Blue Jays. And that's really all there is to talk about with the Yankees from this past week, guys. As far as injury news, roster news, and opinions based off of what we have seen so far, brushing over some players, and also what's happened in spring training and what's to come and how close we are to opening day, guys, because we are right there. It's getting so close. One final thing to mention as far as the Yankees, though, and this is more somber than any of the other discussion on the show, of course. The Yankees did announce... This past week also, the passing of Joe Pepitone at the age of 82, he passed away. And uh, obviously, a lot of us know Pepitone as being a big presence in Yankee history, being a, a big player in the 1960s. He's from New York, obviously, so he's a native New Yorker. He played for the Yankees, and he really took great pride in doing so. He was a three-time All-Star. He won three gold gloves. And despite not spending his whole career with the Yankees, he took great pride in being here from 62 
all the way until 1970. And in his eight years here, he was also a pretty solid offensive player as well. So had a pretty good presence here in the 1960s. And a lot of those, sad man, a lot of the guys from like those 1960s, 1950 days, they're, they're going, they're, they're gone. It's, it's sad. Listen, time moves along. That's, that's life. But um, it's always sad to hear the passing of another big-time old-timer with the Yankees at the age of 82. I actually met Joe myself a few years ago with my dad and my brother. I don't even remember exactly what the event was, but it was, it was a car show event, and Joe was signing autographs there, and we met him. He was really, really nice guy. He was really down-to-earth with us, signed his player headshot for us, and took pictures with us, and he seemed really nice from what I could tell. I obviously didn't know him personally, so I can't vouch for that, but when I met him, seemed like a pretty nice guy. And uh, I was sad to hear of his passing. Again, at age 82, Joe Pepitone has passed away. So, the passing of another significant name in Yankee history. Now, when it comes to the World Baseball Classic, (laughs) there's a lot to discuss (laughs) with all of this. My God. So, I guess I could... um. Well, what I actually should do is give another update on this game because amidst me talking about everything that I just did between spring training and Joe Pepitone and whatnot, I actually did miss a couple more scoring moments for those boys playing for the U.S. of A. Can't believe I did, but listen, just concentrate on doing the show. But in the bottom of the third, Pete Alonso added to the 3-1 to lead on an RBI single, so that made it 4-1 to USA. And then Tim Anderson with a sacrifice fly himself, doing some himself for the first time in really like two or three games. I mentioned him with Trey Turner before, with me saying that about Trey Turner before his grand slam last night, that is. But now Tim Anderson contributes again with a sack fly of his own to make it 5-1. to one. And right now they're back in the bottom of the fourth with the 5-1 to one lead still intact. Mookie Betts is up at bat, so back to the top of the lineup. U.S. of A looking real good tonight, baby. They want those finals. They want it. Oh, God, I can't wait. So, like I did say last Sunday, I was wrong about the USA defeating Mexico last Sunday. I thought they would. It is still the USA's only loss in the tournament this year. They lost 11-5. to They really did show them. But I think that loss may have pissed the USA off because the very next night on Monday the 13th the USA came out against Canada and beat them 12 to 1 it was an onslaught my god and before you knew it <laughs> it's crazy so in the bottom of the first Nolan Arenado two run double made it 2 to nothing Kyle Tucker who also hit a big home run last night too sacrifice fly made it 3 nothing JT Real Muto, RBI single, 4-0. Trey Turner on a force out, made it 5-0. Cedric Mullins getting an appearance in the Classic on an RBI triple, made it 6-0. Mike Trout, three-run homer, made it 9-0. And by the way, that was all in the bottom of the first inning. (laughs) Oh my god, bottom of the second, they weren't done though. Canada did get their one run on a solo shot by Jared Young, but uh, I think that made USA even angrier because, like I said, right away in the bottom of the second, they still weren't done. 
Tim Anderson, RBI triple made it 10-1. to JT Realmuto driving him in with a sacrifice fly, making it 11-1. to And then Trey Turner with his first home run of the Classic at the time, making it 12-1. to And that is all it took to completely beat down Canada. <laughs> so that was pretty ruthless, <laughs> to say the least. So that loss definitely seemed to piss off the USA last Sunday the 12th against Mexico to the point where they came out in the 13th and completely embarrassed Canada. The 14th, the USA was off. On the 15th, Wednesday, they played against Colombia, and this game was actually really close. I was actually getting pretty nervous because in contrast to basically all other games, the offense was actually pretty quiet in this game. And they did jump out one to nothing at first and an RBI single did the USA by Mike Trout. But then in the bottom of the third, thanks to a mistake on defense by Trey Turner and a sack fly by Gio Urshela and Ronaldo Rodriguez hitting an RBI double, Colombia took a two to one lead. But then fortunately the USA answered back in the top of the fifth. Mike Trout again with a two run single made it three to two USA and that was the final. They ended up holding on against Columbia, so another W for the U.S. of A. And all three runs coming from the captain of the team, Mike Trout, for those of you who didn't know, that he is the captain of the U.S. team. And then, obviously, the next big game for the USA was last night against Venezuela, and I mentioned the crazy grand slam with Trey Turner and all that good stuff. But a lot happened before that, too. It's just It was just a crazy game. Awesome game against Venezuela, who had not lost in the tournament heading into last night. A fun, fun game. Hats off to Venezuela. I really have to give it to him. But right away in the top of the first, action got started. Mike Trout, RBI single, 1-0. Paul Goldschmidt, RBI single, 2-0. Ended up having five hits just in the first inning, I believe. And... Kyle Tucker also, RBI single himself, got thrown out at second, but it was 3-0 USA right away. Bottom of the first, though, Venezuela inched a little closer. Luisa Rise, two-run shot, made it 3-2. Top of the fourth, the USA tacked on a run with a sacrifice fly by Mookie Betts, made it 4-2. And then Kyle Tucker tacked on another in the top of the fifth on a solo bomb. It was 5-2. And then the bottom of the fifth looked like it was going to be the disastrous inning that might actually hand the U.S. an L and see their way out of the tournament. Because Daniel Bard, who as we know took years off from pitching because of the yips, and a lot of people don't really know what that is, it more or less short version of it is pretty much when a pitcher just loses any and all ability to even throw a ball straight to a catcher. Like They just can't pitch anymore. They can't. Usually a mental thing, and it happened to Bard. He just completely lost it, took a lot of time off, and then just happened to rediscover himself and had a killer year with the Rockies last year. Well, it looked like some form of yips may have returned in that fifth inning last night because, my God, could the guy... To say that he couldn't locate is the understatement of the century. It was really tough to watch. Not only was it frustrating just from being a fan of the USA team personally, but it was also tough to watch just for his own sake, watching someone, watching that happen to anybody on the mound like that, just completely collapsing, not able to locate. 
And he also even hit Jose Altuve with a pitch and broke his thumb. And now Altuve is going to be out for a couple of months, which just... I don't care about personal feelings towards a player. I never want to see anybody get hurt, especially to that degree. So that really sucked to see. And he's going to be out a couple of months, which also just makes baseball suffer because whether you like the guy or not, he's a good player. So it's not good for the game also for him to be out. But that was just one of many examples of horrible, abysmal pitching by Daniel Bard in the fifth inning. And he gave the entire lead up. By the time the inning was over, Venezuela had a 6-5 to lead. After he couldn't locate, given up hits, he had one hit, an infield hit that was unfortunate, didn't go their way, but other than that, it was just a product of him having less than no command of the baseball. It was really bad to watch. Then in the bottom of the seventh, Venezuela tacked on another run by Luis Arise. A second home run of the night made it 7-5. to All of a sudden, he's a power hitter. <laughs> what the hell's going on? And then in the top of the eighth, one of the more exciting home runs that I have seen in some time, and the first of what I hope is many great 2023 baseball moments, Trey Turner sending a ball into orbit, an absolute tank job of a grand slam, putting the U.S. ahead by a score of 9-7 to again, and that would be the final. In unbelievable fashion, the U.S.A. moved on, and now finds himself in this game tonight against Cuba, which, by the way, now they lead 6-1 to one after I just realized that Arenado did something. I have to check in on that because I was too busy giving scoring updates on the game from last night. But as of what Arenado just did, let me see right here, the scoring update. He hit an RBI triple. Holy crap. Wow. So it's 6-1 to one USA. Now this game is... Uh, Starting to look like a bit of a wrap. The USA is pulling away a little bit. If they tack on another run or two, this is not going to look too pretty for Cuba. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. They almost hit Schwarber with a pitch. Schwarber got out of the way though, thankfully. No more big injuries on hit by pitches, please, after last night. Please, no more. Oh my God. So, I got to say, other than occasional not-so-great decision-making, to say the least, by USA manager Mark DeRosa... And the pitching being pretty mid on this team, per se. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with this USA team so far. I'm having a lot of fun with a WBC tournament overall. And I'm just really having a good time, like I do every single time this tournament is played. Especially this year, though, since it's been six years since we saw this tournament. Since 2017, since the last one was put to a halt because of COVID. So it's awesome to see it back. Not necessarily every single person, however, feels the same way. And I'm going to try to brush through this because I don't think it's worth that much time because I have my opinions on it, and it honestly seems like the vast majority of people agree with it because it seems like the sensible thing to feel. But there have been a couple of unfortunate circumstances when it comes to the WBC, the last few days. The first main one is from a few days ago when Puerto Rico defeated the Dominican Republic and eliminated the Dominican Republic in a do-or-die game. Edwin Diaz closed out the game for Team Puerto Rico and the team was celebrating because it was them moving on to the next round, more than understandable. 
And as we know, this tournament means a lot to a lot of people, especially people outside of the USA. It does mean a lot to some people inside of the USA, like myself. I love the World Baseball Classic. Not everybody else feels the same, and that's whatever. Fine. I would definitely say that in other countries, it would hold more value, like Japan being one of them, definitely. Even in China to a certain degree, and especially in countries like Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, all of these countries. And it, it does mean something here, too. Maybe not as much as other places, but here as well. The World Series definitely holds the most value here. Yes, and as it should. Nobody's saying otherwise. But, especially when things like this happen, it had people talking. Edwin Diaz, in the middle of the celebration... After closing out that game, when everyone was jumping around in the huddle, you all of a sudden saw someone in the middle just on the ground. And the celebration came to an abrupt halt. Just like everything froze. Eventually, in the middle of the pile, we noticed that it was Edwin Diaz. And he wasn't getting up. His legs were out straight. His teammates were definitely asking him what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. And then he had some teammates in a panicked behavior, just immediately signaled for the trainer. He said, oh, God. And they went over to him, talking to him for a while, and he still wasn't getting up after a few minutes passed. And I was immediately just saying, this is not good. He's not getting up. I had I was watching with my brother, and I was watching with my girlfriend as well, and I was also watching with my brother's friend who was back in town from college. And I was just telling him, like, this is not good. He's not getting up. And like, yeah, he's, he's not getting up. And then all of a sudden you see them pick him up. And when his leg bent after he was picked up, because people were holding him on both sides, you immediately saw him like yell out in pain and they immediately put him down. And he tried to put the foot on the ground and walk with his arms around the shoulders of the two people beside him on each side. And he could put little to no pressure on the ground with one of his legs at all. And when that was seen, I said, oh my God, he's done for the year. You know those certain injuries that happen where you could just tell? Like, yeah, that that looks season-ending. I just had that gut feeling when that happened. And unfortunately, obviously the diagnosis later on of him having torn his patellar ligament, I think it's called the patellar ligament, in his knee, I thought it was going to be an ACL. That's what I thought it was. But either way, either way, He already had it surgically repaired. He's done for the year, Edwin Diaz, after a celebration. It's awful, but you know what? It could happen to anyone, and it could happen anywhere at any time. It's a really crappy situation. And this did get a lot of people talking, and not in a good way. Because a lot of people started to talk about how whether or not the World Baseball Classic tournament is worth it. Is it worth it for these players to go play in this tournament and sacrifice the chance of playing for the team that they are employed for and they make their money for and in playing in Major League Baseball where it quote-unquote really matters? Does it really mean that much? People started to talk about how much the tournament meant to them, if they really even knew anything about it in the first place if it should be moved, if it should be canceled. I got to say right now, listen, Met fans everywhere, 
Nobody's telling you that you didn't have the right to be absolutely just beside yourself at the fact that you've lost your all-star closer coming off of one of the better years of his entire career for the rest of the year. You are allowed to feel that way. Trust me, you are. It is a crappy situation. But to call for the cancellation of an entire tournament, that means an unbelievable amount for a great deal of athletes and people, especially in other countries, but also here. You even heard a lot of the players for the USA team talking about how much of a blast they have in this tournament. The value for it is there. And there are so many people all around the world that thoroughly enjoy it, myself included. Not to mention how great of an opportunity it is in growing the game. Amidst all the other nonsensical ways that Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball try to do it, this is actually a good potential avenue for it. The one argument that I will listen to is moving it to another time of year. I can definitely hear out the people saying that this is a bit nonsensical how they have it done during spring training because the players should have their minds on getting ready for the season and in case a big injury is to happen, it happens right on top of the regular season so they could miss significant time and that really sucks. I hear that. A lot of people saying, have it after the World Series, have it in November, maybe even December. I could honestly get on board with that. Because, I mean, yeah, they're tired after they've played the entire year. I get it. But after the World Series is done, all teams except for two will have had at least a little bit of time off between then and when the new World Baseball Classic Tournament would start if it were to be moved. And also after the World Series is done, that wouldn't be it for baseball. You would still have the World Baseball Classic to look forward to. And if somebody did get hurt, if the tournament was going on at that time, let's say it started in mid to late November, and maybe ended just before Christmas, even if they do sustain like a two, three month injury, there's a solid chance that they could still be ready for opening day. But to blame the World Baseball Classic, and even to suggest canceling it altogether, given what it means to a lot of people, how much excitement that surrounds it for a lot of people. The great opportunity that there is within it to grow the game of baseball. And how much pride so many players take in playing for it. Just all these reasons combined. It's foolish to suggest canceling it. If you want to blame the World Baseball Classic Tournament on Diaz's injury... I truly think that that is not that fair. Yes, it happened while the tournament was going on, but it wasn't during a game, and it was during a celebration. It wasn't even while the game was being played. A freak injury like that, a freak accident, like I said, could happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time. If that could happen when you're jumping up and down inside of a huddle, that could happen... At the gym. It could happen when you're out with your friends. It can happen when you're walking around your house. It could happen on a trampoline. Remember when Jabba Chamberlain got hurt in a trampoline? These things happen. That's why, yeah, you're allowed to be upset about it and really outraged about it in general. Yeah, you lost your closer for the whole year, dude. No one's blaming you for being really freaking pissed off. No one. Not me. But... 
to just blame the tournament. Oh, it wouldn't have happened if, because, you know, they wouldn't be celebrating like that during spring training. Especially that piece of crap KFC bar stool. Might have been really helpful for him if he was half as committed to his family as he was to this boneheaded take these last few days. Anybody who knows anything personally about him knows what I mean by that. Let's just say at the risk of sounding like the rock in the Attitude Era, KFC Barstool is beyond the shadow of a doubt, a big, walking, heaping, steaming pile of human crap. But anyways, you got him leading the charge in this nonsensical conversation, talking about canceling the World Baseball Classic. And fortunately, people have chewed him out to no end the last few days, as he deserves, including myself. But... It's funny when someone like him is the first to mention, oh yeah, you know, this wouldn't have happened in spring training because they don't get into a huddle and go insane like that. It's funny coming from a Met fan who takes so much pride in his team, same team that celebrated a mock last out in the World Series at spring training camp and was jumping all on top of each other for a few minutes as if they just won the World Series. It very well could have happened in that instant too. So guys, it didn't happen in a game. It was a freak thing after a game ended. Again, could have happened to anyone, anywhere, at any time. It was, even the U.S. player said it in response to it. It was a fluke. It was a freak accident. It sucks, but it happened. I can tell you right now, I don't think Edwin has any regrets. He hasn't voiced any regrets about it. And it was a crappy situation. Listen, his brother was crying... It was it was really hard to watch. But again, anywhere, anytime, to anyone. Not to mention, I would be very confident in saying that I really don't think that a lot of fans out there, particularly Mets fans, I would stop acting like a great deal of you. And I do know a, a lot of Mets fans personally who flipped like this. And I told them the same thing. But let's not act like... Most of you didn't love this tournament prior to that happening. We get it. You're upset about your closer. And you have every right to be. But he got hurt celebrating, guys. It was an awful accident. Crapping on and even threatening to cancel or saying they should cancel the entire tournament for a freak accident in a post-game celebration. Listen, it's just not fair. It's not fair. And like yesterday, too, with Altuve. And KFC Barstool was the first one to jump out and use this for an argument as well with Altuve. He used that saying, oh, he got hit in the hand with a pitch by Daniel Bard. Now he's going to miss a couple of months because of this tournament as well. It's a sacrifice that the players themselves choose to make by playing for their country. It's their choice. An injury can happen at anywhere, at any time. World Baseball Classic or not. So suggesting a cancellation because of that, because it just happened to happen during the World Baseball Classic post-game celebration with Diaz or not, or in an Altuve situation, or in the case of other regular people out there, or maybe even a Sal Licata who's also taken the same stance as KFC Barstool, not shocking considering their low IQ levels, probably about the same, but you want to talk about the meaningfulness of the tournament? Well, that's based on each and every individual opinion. If you want to talk about which holds more value between the World Baseball Classic and the World Series here in the United States of America, that's not up for discussion. We know the answer to that. But to suggest it should be canceled because you don't think it's meaningful, 
as opposed to countless other people throughout the world, and even some here in the USA. I happen to love the tournament. Or because your closer's out, which, yes, again, is a beyond crappy situation. It's just going too far. And it's not fair to all those fans, and all the players especially, who thoroughly enjoy this tournament. Trey Turner himself, after that Grand Slam last night, said that that was one of the louder games he's ever played. And Trey Turner also, who has World Series experience, also said that this was basically on par, right up there, with the intensity and the loudness of the World Series. That game last night, especially in the moment when he hit that Grand Slam. So whether you like it or not, or how upset you are or not over losing your closer for the year, maybe you're an Astros fan too, without Tuve getting hurt, although I haven't heard them make nearly as much of a stink about it as the Mets fans have with Diaz. But regardless of your thoughts on it, this thing is popular, and it does mean quite a bit to a lot of people out there. And it shouldn't be canceled. Again, you want to talk about moving it, maybe have it start right after the World Series is over, maybe in November, December. I would be fine to talk about that, whatever. That would be okay with me. As a matter of fact, I would not have a problem with that at all. But to cancel the whole thing, as it seems to only be getting more and more popular it happens, and you have the chance to make it even bigger here in the USA than it already is with a a decent amount of people, including people like myself, then that's totally fine. And maybe it happening after the season's over, where there's little potential risk for the next upcoming season, with the exception of maybe some devastating injuries that could still have them miss a good chunk of time, but there's less of a risk because you'd have more time to recover if an injury is to happen. If the tournament were to start in like November, then maybe that would also inspire some of the better and best players in their specific heritages to take part in the tournament. Because a lot of them, for the fact that it takes place during spring training and they don't want to have the injury risk or just have their concentration thrown off for the regular season, because of the time the tournament is now, some of them don't participate because of that. But maybe because of the timing of it and the circumstances after the baseball season, maybe they want to play it as a way to stay fresh during the beginning of the offseason as well after baseball ends, Maybe you could get some additional participation from specific people for their countries if you were to move it to the end of the year after the World Series is over. Again, I would listen to that discussion. But to say to just cancel it, come on. Come on, man. I know you're upset about Diaz, and if you're an Astros fan, I get being upset about Altuve. I get it. But the fact of the matter is, you got to put that hurt and anger aside for just a second and remind yourself of how any injury at any time could happen at any time to anyone, anywhere. And I'm of that crowd in general in life who says, hey, it happened, that meant that means it was meant to happen. So we'll never know if it would have happened anyway if the World Baseball Classic wasn't going on. There's no way of knowing that. But I promise you, canceling the entire tournament over it, it, it's just not worth it. It's not. I totally disagree. Totally disagree. Especially in the Diaz case because it happened during celebrating. You can blame them for celebrating. They were celebrating moving on to the next round. They even said that means a great deal to them. So... 
I just could not disagree more with people saying to cancel the tournament. And from what I see with overall Twitter opinions, again, and opinions everywhere, with the exception of big guys with clearly lower IQs like Sal Licata and KFC Barstool especially, I do see that the vast majority of people out there, particularly from foreign countries, as I'd expect, a lot of people disagree with that opinion like I do. So, and I'm not going to have an opinion just because a lot of other people happen to agree with me. I've had unpopular opinions before, but it certainly does help to give you some perspective as to, you know, people who are thinking logically and not emotionally, you know. So, I really do hope this tournament continues. And hey, if nothing else, if you want to talk about media attention, that got people talking about the tournament. And maybe people who didn't even know anything about it, or maybe didn't even know that it existed, maybe now they know about it, and maybe they'll tune in. Because the unfortunate reality of life, or fortunate depending on your point of view, even negative attention could bring eyeballs to a product and make money. That's just a reality of life, people. That's that's business. So, who knows what that could do for the classic going forward. Maybe it'll have people be upset and not tune into it anymore because of that, or it'll have people hearing about it for the first time or piquing their interest in it and having them tune in for the first time and getting more eyeballs on it. Who knows? Point of the matter is, is everything I've said so far pertaining to how injuries could happen anywhere, any place, any time. And if you want to talk about the meaningfulness of the World Baseball Classic and how all meaningless, quote-unquote meaningless things should not be played anymore, well, I guess we should put spring training, winter ball, and anything else outside of Major League Baseball, I guess those need to be put in question as well. Otherwise, your argument with meaningfulness of the World Baseball Classic is pretty hypocritical. So... That's that, guys. A lot of people talking about it, but it seems to have died down a bit in the last, I don't know, 24 hours or so, which I'm glad about because people are just enjoying the tournament now. It's almost over. It's going to be over in a couple of days, as I said. USA now is winning 7-2, to two, as I can see. It's the bottom of the fifth. Runners on first and second. Nobody out for Trey Turner. He's back at the plate. Let's see if they could add even more to this five-run lead that they have now. I saw that a wild pitch on a walk scored the seventh run for the USA earlier, and then Cuba scored a run as well. 1-0 to Trey Turner now. We are nearly an hour and a half into this episode, guys, and we have not even gotten to the social media segment yet. (laughs) Holy crap. This is going to be one for the records as far as timing. Let's get to that social media segment. I'll keep on darting my eyes back and forth to and from that TV as we do it. But today's social media segment, my friends, is an open-ended question. And the question is, as we head towards late March, what is your opening day lineup? And with that being said, who do you guys think will be at the positions in question on the field? Like shortstop, even third base, maybe even second base, and especially left field as well. And you know what? Even with Bader being out for now, I'd say even center field to a certain degree. But what are your lineups? With opening day being only a week and a half away and roster moves continuing to be made, And players being reassigned to minor league camp. So I put my own lineups together. I actually put more than one together. I put together a lineup of what I would like, but I'm basically certain will not happen in reality. And what I think the Yankees in reality will do, or at least something similar to it. Now, this is also assuming 
that no trades happen between now and opening day. Keep that in mind as well. Because obviously if there were, this probably would look at least a little bit different. And again, also accounting for the fact that this will obviously slightly change when Beta returns two or three weeks into the season. But again, this is for opening day. And it's a foregone conclusion that Bader is not going to be ready for opening day. So for now, this lineup does not include him. The first lineup that I put together that I would love to see happen, but I am almost certain will not. Here we go. Up oh, before we get to that, Trey Turner looper into right field. It's going to fall, baby. Run's not going to come home. Bases loaded. Nobody out. Oh, my goodness. If this is a big inning, I would say this game is over, guys. 7-2. USA already. Bases loaded. Nobody out. It's looking really good. All right, lineup that I would like to see, but almost certainly will not happen. Leading off at second base, Anthony Volpe. Batting second in center field, Aaron Judge. Again, I believe that will change, and it should change once Bader returns. Batting third at first base, Anthony Rizzo. Batting cleanup in right field, Giancarlo Stanton. Should and will be in the field, I think. Batting fifth at third base, DJ LeMayhew. Batting 6th in left, at least for now, Oswaldo Cabrera. I have said that I would rather him be used in the infield, but I would rather him than Hicks, anybody but Hicks as we know. Batting 7th at DH is Glaber Torres. Batting 8th at short is Oswald Peraza. And batting ninth at catcher is Jose Trevino. In my lineup, we are letting the kids play. That is my lineup, and I'm willing to adjust it here and there, particularly with the specific order, but one thing I will not compromise on personally is keeping Donaldson, Hicks, and IKF out of the lineup. That's the main point I'm trying to make with my lineup, and I truly think that that would be a pretty decent lineup. But I'm willing to change the order around with specific names if need be. What I think the Yankees will do, or something similar to this at least, is batting first, DJ at second base, Batting second, Judge in center, and they'll continue to do that for the most part, I believe. For the most part, until Bader comes back, at least. Rizzo at first, batting third, so everything the same there. And Giancarlo at cleanup in right field, so everything there is the same, with the exception of DJ being at second as opposed to third, because batting fifth will be Josh Donaldson playing third. Batting sixth, Glaber, DH. Batting seventh, Aaron Hickson, left. Batting 8th, Oswald Peraza shortstop, and ninth is Trevino at catcher. Something of those sorts is going to be what the Yankees do. Moral of the story, even if that's not the exact same order or maybe even the same exact positions, point is, they're going to be shoehorning Donaldson and Hicks in there. I'm almost positive of it. Or, you know, they might put Hicks into center, Cabrera in left, Judge in right, and they DH Stanton, Glaber at second, DJ on the bench, might not use DJ at all. Who the hell knows? Either way, again, I just feel like we're almost certain to see both Hicks and Donaldson in the actual Yankee lineup, which I, of course, strongly disagree with, (laughs) as I've been very vocal about. Alrighty, let's go around and see some of your lineups that you would like or you think the Yankees are going to do in actuality. See if any of yours include the guys that I don't want. Now, I'm only going to read a few here because, again, we're way late into this episode. First up is at Brian underscore TGP. He has Volpe leading off at second base, batting second, Judge center field, Rizzo batting third at first, Stanton cleanup in right field. So those first four are exactly the same as mine, all right? Glaber Torres, DHing batting fifth. That's different by a spot or two. Donaldson batting sixth at third. 
Cabrera in left field batting 7th, Trevino at catcher batting 8th, and Peraza at short batting ninth. And the bench would be Higashioka, LeMahieu, IKF, and Hicks. Well, the one thing that we have is different is LeMahieu and Donaldson. Just alternate them into the lineup and we're almost identical. And I'd also be willing to, you know, switch Trevino and Peraza for 8 or 9. That doesn't mean too much to me. But yeah, other than having Donaldson there, I'd be okay with that, I suppose. More or less, yeah. Understandable. Tom at Baseball Tzar says, DJ at third, Judge in center, Rizzo at first, Big G in right, Volpe second base, Oswaldo in left, Glaber at DH, Trevino at catcher, Peraza at short. This is what I want, but in no way does it happen. I am inclined to agree, considering a lot of those names and positions are exactly the same as mine, Tom. Just, you know, just different spots in the lineup for certain names, but that is very similar to me. Andrew, at Andrew Caruso 77, says, As things stand now, taking in injuries and other factors, let me know what you think. I shall. DJ at third, leading off. Judge in center, batting second. Rizzo at first, batting third. Stanton in right, batting cleanup. Those first four are exactly the same as mine. Glaber at second, batting fifth. Trevino at catcher, batting sixth. That's pretty high up. Seventh at Donaldson, DHing. Eighth is Oswald Peraza at shortstop, and ninth is Willie Calhoun in left. Well, the one thing I'd have to strongly disagree with Donaldson, obviously, first off, but I'm not going to make too big a deal of Trevino being that high up, but I would definitely have him either eight or nine. But if you're going to put Donaldson in the lineup, which I automatically disagree with to begin with, and I've seen some people suggest this, but I don't understand it for the life of me. Why would you DH him? Guys, the one half-respectable thing about him in 2022 was his glove. And you're going to take that away so he could only hit, which has been the weak aspect of his game throughout this spring so far and throughout all of last year? That doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) I'm sorry. That makes no sense, DHing Donaldson, having him focus on the aspect that he's been weakest with since coming to the Yankees and taking his glove away, which has actually been pretty good. I could not disagree with that more. Putting him in there in the first place and taking his glove away, that is a double whammy for me. Huge no-no. As far as that, Willie Calhoun, I just put Cabrera out there until there's a potential better option, to be honest. That's just me. Everywhere else, I guess I could get on the same wavelength with more or less. But yeah, the Donaldson thing, double whammy, big no-no. Two more runs for the USA, baby! I just noticed! Oh my god, what happened? Let me see. I just looked away for a second while talking about this, of course. Just now, Paul Goldschmidt, two-run single, baby. Nine to two. I would pack this game in. Especially if another hit were to happen. USA still has runners on the corners with two outs. 0-2 count on Arenado. Especially if more runs score after this. I would probably pack it in now, but... Especially if any more of that, even more so. We just see this 0-2 pitch. The pitch. Oh boy. Arenado was hit on the hand. He was hit on the hand. Oh boy. Oh no. Seems to be trying to shake it off, though. He's opening and closing his hand over and over again. Please be okay, Arenado. That would be a humongous name to lose. Not to mention more ammunition for those dopes to use in their cancel the WBC campaign. Oh boy. 
Never want to see somebody get hurt, especially not as big a name as that. They're looking at his hand right now, but he, he seems to be opening and closing it okay. I mean, I don't know. As far as the other injuries went, this does not seem nearly as severe when it comes to Diaz and especially uh, Altuve too. Yeah, they're going to take him out of the game. I, I assume out of precaution because he doesn't, unless he's just being really tough about it, he does not look like he's in too much pain. But I would definitely say that the safest thing to do is to take him out of the game, especially because of the score. I mean, it's 9-2. to two, Who cares? But, um, you know, he doesn't look to be in too much pain. He even just shook his head. He was like, eh. So hopefully he's okay. I don't think it's much to be concerned about. So thankfully for that. But the bases are loaded now because that was a hit by pitch and Bobby Witt Jr.'s pinch running for him. So, all right, that's that. All righty, so. Let's continue on, read a couple more replies for these lineups that people put together. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life is next. She says, hi, Mike. Hi, Rebecca. My opening day lineup would be Rizzo at first base leading off. They did toy with Rizzo leading off at times, so, you know, who knows? Maybe some days. I don't know about opening day, though. Uh, batting second at third would be DJ. Batting third and right would be Judge. Peraza at second batting cleanup. Hmm. Stanton at DH batting 5th, Cabrera in left batting 6th, Calhoun in center batting 7th. In the 8th spot is Volpe at shortstop, and catching at number 9 is Trevino. Hmm. Well, I do like the non-inclusions of Hicks and Donaldson. I can get on board with that. And the positioning I guess I could live with. You know, Calhoun, maybe give him a shot. I don't know about the opening day lineup, but... Maybe give him a shot in some games. As far as just the rest of the lineup, just placement of players is really what I would adjust. Peraza batting fourth is, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> but um, other than that, the names in there, those are all names that I don't have a problem with. Just a matter of putting them in certain other spots, I suppose. But interesting arrangement, Rebecca. At RMNY1976 says, what should happen? Okay, so you put two lineups together like me. Let's see how similar we are. What should happen? Volpe at second, DJ at third, one and two obviously, batting third in center judge, batting cleanup at first Rizzo, batting fifth in right Stanton, batting sixth in left Cabrera, batting seventh at DH Torres, batting eighth at catcher Trevino, and ninth is Peraza at short. I like those names, and I like the placement of most of those. Yeah, I mean, the only difference between mine and yours is that DJ's at 5, and Judge's 2, Rizzo's 3, and Stanton's at 4, but other than that, the players at each position are the same, and other than those little lineup changes, it's more or less the same as mine, so I could agree with that, what should happen. What probably happens, DJ at 2nd, leading off, Judge in center, then Rizzo at 1st, then Stanton in right, Donaldson at 3rd, Glaber at DH, Hicks in left, Trevino catcher, Peraza short. I'm pretty sure that's almost identical to the lineup that I said the Yankees will probably do in reality. So, I have to agree with that. You and I are basically on the same page, dude. Wow. Oh, God. Let's hope they just do the right thing somehow. At Crusaders, BBNY says, Rizzo at first, DJ and Glaber Torres alternating between DH and second baseman. IKF shortstop, DJ at third, Aaron Hicks left, Oswaldo Cabrera center, and Aaron Judge at right, 
Not my wish list, but it's just reality. My God, that would be a horrible reality. My God. Even IKF, it's short. Oh, my goodness. But what you wanted, what you would do is DJ at third, leading off Judge in right, batting second, Rizzo at first, then Stanton at DH, Glaber at second, Cabrera in center, Hickson left, Trevino at catcher, and Peraza at shortstop. Basically, more or less agree with the placement of things other than Hickson left. That's basically it, but we're more or less on the same page. There should be nobody having Hicks in their lineup, especially when Bader's back, though. Nobody. I don't even even want to hear it. (laughs) My friend James at RebirthChaos09, after him, we'll just do a couple of more, getting real late here. (laughs) He says, I'm going to say DJ, Judge, Rizzo, Stanton, Glaber, Cabrera, Hicks, Peraza, and Trevino. And DJ at third, Glaber, would be at second, Rizzo at first, Trevino at catcher, Hickson left, Judge in center, Cabrera in right, and Stanton in DH. I mean, I would think you would just rather Cabrera in left and Stanton in right, where Stanton's really good. I mean, put Stanton in right or left and take Hicks out. Fair enough. At the underscore J.A. Evans says, Volpe, lead off at shortstop, Judge in right, Rizzo at first, Stanton, DH, LeMahieu at third, Cabrera at left, or in left rather, Torres at second, Trevino, catcher, and Ortega in center field. Interesting, so you'd bring Ortega along. I do not like how he's fallen off of late recently, to be honest, so not so sure about that. I'd probably pick Calhoun over him if I were to pick either of them, but I don't know. I don't really see them making the opening day lineup, but interesting perspective. I won't crap on it. It's better than Hicks being out there. You know what? Whatever. Because in the last few years, we know that Hicks has done little to nothing. So it's uh, it's tough to really vouch for him. Despite his occasional days where he puts the bat on the ball pretty well this spring, but he also has he had plenty of days where his numbers dipped way down again, not to mention the outfield comedy routine. So... All right, let's finish up with a final three. My brother even got in on this today. My brother Thomas, he gave his own lineup, so I'll do him right now. Uh, He sent me his lineup choice. Good to have you taking part in this, Thomas. Thomas's lineup is Anthony Volpe leading off at short, Oswaldo Cabrera in left batting second, then Judge in center batting third, batting cleanup is Rizzo at first, batting fifth and right is Stanton, batting sixth at DH is Glaber, Batting 7th at catcher is Trevino. Batting 8th at short is Peraza. And batting ninth at 3rd is DJ. Hmm. Yeah, so that's definitely a different perspective with DJ batting ninth. Uh, definitely would set up the top of the lineup nicely because he gets on base a lot, puts the bat on the ball. That's precisely why I personally had him in my fantasy lineup batting 5th because I think he'd do even better after the big guys at two, three, four, being put in an even bigger RBI situation, putting the bat on the ball, but ninth, that's interesting. What is also interesting is putting Oswaldo Cabrera at second, I was like, that's, hmm, thought about that for a while, but that could actually work considering he is a switch hitter, and a lot of the time he's batting lefty, of course, but even so, at switch, that's a lot of good left, right, left, right, left, right alternating that you have from one through five in the lineup right there. So I do like that. You have you would have Volpe from the right side of the plate, then Oswaldo, switch, Judge from the right side, 
Rizzo from the left side, Stanton from the right side. So a lot of flip-flopping. That's what you'd like in a lineup. You don't want too much of either one. So, hmm, that's... I could I could get on board with that, I suppose. I do think that... Because you know, batting ninth, you have the least amount of at-bats. That's why I have DJ up higher than ninth. But I guess it's a good argument if you're saying he sets up the top of the lineup well. It's a solid hitter to have at the bottom, so you don't just have a black hole there. I still keep him at fifth personally, but your reasoning is not totally outrageous. So I could get on board with that. All right. Interesting. Interesting with DJ being ninth, especially. All right. Final two, as per usual. First up, my girlfriend, Vic Salimo. She says, batting first, I would have Volpe at second. Batting second, I would have Judge in center. Then Rizzo at first. Stanton in right. LeMayhew at third. Cabrera in left. Glaber at DH. Peraza at short. And Trevino at catcher. Just no Hicks or Donaldson. I need some time to prepare before I get upset. <laughs> that's more or less the same as mine. I I agree. And yeah, that's the main thing. Just no Hicks or Donaldson. But we know we're getting one of or both of them. It's just That's just what's going to happen. But we could dream. We could always dream. And last but certainly not least on this long-ass episode, it is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero. And she says, okay, I've got to admit, when I need advice to help me fully give an educated answer to a question like this with specific lineup choices, I'm able to ask you. Well, you presented me with your lineup that you'd like and the, also the list that the organization will probably go with. Well, for me, it's a no-brainer that your first list that you would like is honestly perfection. It amazes me how you, who aren't a part of the Yankee organization, yet can figure out how to win the next World Series while the billionaires, who can make it happen continue to monopolize and destroy their own team's chances of winning so they can coddle baby Hicks and incompetent stuck-up Donaldson is crazy. I'm with you, Mike. (laughs) Well, I'm flattered you feel that way, Mom. And I I truly do think my lineup's solid, too. I think it's a really good way to go, not just because it's mine, just objectively. But also that is considering, you know, Bader not being there, and accounting for no trades happening between now and then, and no injuries happening after the fact to mess that lineup up. It basically, in a perfect world, lasting throughout the entire season, you know, that would be, with the inclusion of Bader at some point, for instance, that's, I truly think that that would really help the team do really well. I definitely think it would give them a better chance in incorporating Donaldson and or Hicks. I'm very confident in saying that. I could end up being wrong when the season comes around and they're put on their hopefully very short leashes, but we'll just have to see. It is not a guarantee, though, that a lineup like that would win the World Series, though. I don't know. I'm not some all-knowing genius, but I am pretty damn confident in that lineup doing better than what I feel the Yankees would put out, or at least close to what I feel the Yankees would put out when the regular season actually comes around, but... We'll see what happens, guys. That's the fun of putting together these lineups, what we think will happen, what we would like to happen. It all depends on the person, but there's still more spring training left to play that could change our minds. Who knows? Maybe some more roster moves shoot down the aspirations of some people, like those who want Calhoun in there or Ortega in there. Who knows? Or maybe they'll stick around and make the 40-man at least, or maybe even make the 26-man. At least while other players are not going to make the roster because of injuries, maybe they could at least start the year with the team. Only time will tell. We shall see. But there is more spring training to be played. Obviously, the World Baseball Classic is not even over yet. Right now, it's in the top of the sixth. The USA leading 9-2. to two. 
all good here on this Sunday night. But now, nearly two hours later, around 9 o'clock, guys, that is all for this episode of Yapping Yankees, episode 175. Before I head out, though, just want to give you a quick reminder to please follow me on all social medias if you do not already. Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY. Twitter is at Mike Scudero, and Instagram is MikeScuds97. Also, be sure to follow along with Yapping Yankees. Subscribe to it on all four of the platforms it is available on, my friends. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Show your love on all of those platforms like you always do such a great job at doing. If you missed any of the past episodes, well, you could find episodes 34 all the way up to 175 today on YouTube. And every single episode going all the way back to episode 1 all the way to today, episode 175. Those are all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Once again, though, my friends, thank you, 3,000, for listening to me yap today, as always, especially considering the length of this episode, definitely one of the longer ones in yapping Yankees history. So if you made it all the way to the end here from the beginning, I give you huge props and thanks. I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, March 26th, when I come at you with episode 176 of Yapping Yankees. When the World Baseball Classic will have been decided, we will have a champion, and we will be within days of opening day 2023. Until then, though, you know the deal. Hang in there. Be patient. Tough to do in exciting times like this. Like I said, basically the peak of spring baseball. But be patient nonetheless. Stay safe. Look out for your loved ones. Go ahead and kick life's ass this week. And enjoy that peak of spring baseball. We'll see who wins the World Baseball Classic. Pretty convincing to see that with a 9-2 lead right now that the USA will be on one side in the finals. Depends on who will be the other between Mexico and Japan and who will be crowned the WBC champion for 2023. I said from early on that it could very well possibly be USA and Japan. We'll see if I end up being right about that for sure. And also in this final week, week and a half of spring training, we'll see how things progress with the Yankees, with how certain guys perform, the roster, hopefully progress with certain guys when it comes to their injuries, and so on and so forth. But until next Sunday, when we speak all about it again, my friends, I'm going to head off to edit this bad boy and enjoy the rest of this USA and Cuba World Baseball Classic game. Take care.